welcome you to another live edition of the Sports Box, brought to you by our sponsor, Showcase Sports in Hamilton. Showcase Sports for the elite athlete. And by our friends over at Crowdplay. Download the free Crowdplay app today and check them out at www.crowdplayapp.com for details. Ladies and gentlemen, it's showtime. Hey everybody, welcome to Cage by IQ. I'm your host, D-Bake. Join with me as always, Miles Long. Yo. How's it going, Miles? I'm good. I'm good. I had a had a good workout in the backyard today. We're in Texas, so we got like that that humid yeah. heat. So I was I was doing bag work and I came up with a with a brilliant training technique. I don't know if it's I was that bored or what yep. it was, but like there was mosquitoes and every time they would land on the bag, I'd try to kill them with with my strikes. So I'd just be like shadow boxing them when they'd land and bah! and I killed like three of them with my punches. I killed one with a knee and then one with a low kick. So if anybody ends up using that in the gym and it works, I want credit for it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I just got I just got back from uh, hockey, my son's hockey game. That's why we're on at eight forty-five instead of the normal eight thirty. Got done a little bit late because of overtime. But uh, uh, tonight we will be talking UFC Vegas twenty-six recap. And then before we get started, we uh, just acquired a new uh, sponsor uh, for uh, for Cage My IQ and then the Sports Box. That is. Uh, 99jersey.com. Uh, if you use promo code SportsBoxShow20 at checkout, you can receive 20% off uh, on 99jersey.com. You can get jerseys, memorabilia, sports uh, stuff on there. So definitely check it out. If you're into uh, wearing jerseys for football and basketball, uh, you can receive 20% off uh, using promo code SportsBoxShow20. So definitely check that out. And then uh, let them know that we sent you. I but, was hoping uh, we would get the Adam and Eve sponsorship, but it, <laughs> yeah. it didn't still waiting on it. <laughs> still waiting on that. But uh, <laughs> we got we got a insight chiming in. What's up? What's up? Uh, mosquitoes are undefeated. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, what was I? Like five and oh, they didn't even bite yeah. me. I was like, yeah, because <laughs> if you move, they don't land on you. That's the trick. You just gotta you gotta keep moving, and then they won't bother you. And you just wait till they land. <laughs> exactly, but uh, if you uh, if you saw it the other day, me and Insight uh, went and did the Belter uh, uh, recap uh, right after it went on, and then we we had a very good show with that uh, oh. that we put out on YouTube. So if you haven't checked it out, go to uh, Cage by Q's uh, YouTube page as always, and then check that out. And then other than that, before we get started, as always, we are Cage by Q, the best place for MMA content. Go to our Instagram, Twitter. YouTube and Twitch page right there to the left. And then don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Like I said before, so you don't miss any of the content that we put out for all four of the promotions and uh, big promotions in MMA that are out right now. We do previews, we do recaps, and then, and, and then we do a bunch of interviews with the fighters. So don't miss out on all, all that. But uh, we got a few comments right before we get started. Uh, Drunk Savage says, what's up, fellas? What's going on? Uh, he also says Ferrer didn't tap. <laughs> he didn't True. tap. He didn't tap. But, but, but he, <laughs> he wasn't defending, though. <laughs> yeah. And then they they bit you. You won't know to tomorrow. Of nope, course, that's not the, a single that's a one. I, yeah. I caught one trying to bite me, but yeah. I smashed him. 
little bastard. But we'll see. We'll see. As far as I know, I'm clean. And usually they swell up real quick on me. I don't know why. Yeah, exactly. But But, uh, let's get started with the action right here. Uh, We had the first first fight on hand is a middleweight bout, which saw uh, Phil Megatron Hall's uh, defeat. Defeat oh, yeah. Kyle Dawkins uh, by unanimous decision that that moves Phil Dawkins to eleven and two, three and zero in UFC, and then drops Kyle Dawkins to ten and two overall, and then one and one in UFC. What were your first thoughts on this bout? Yeah, this was this was a good one, and I remember back when uh, the first time we talked about Phil Haas, what was the fight we were talking about Phil Haas with? I think it was. Oh, the man. first one was against Malkoon, and then the second one That's was against Imavev. Right. That's right. That's right. When we were talking about Malkuna and Imavev, I am saying like, you know, Haas has what it takes to be a, a real problem in this division. It's just he gets gassed. And that's like the one thing holding him back. And I feel like I, I don't think it was you. Maybe it was. Uh, uh, oh, geez. It was Matt. Oh, it's just he's been so long since he's been on. But I think he was like, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about this Phil Haas guy. But like right there, this fight. Like that just yep. shows you what happens when Phil Haas fixes the one main problem he has, <laughs> which is his gas tank. And poor Kyle Dawkins, like he was banking on that. And then when it didn't happen, he was super upset. Like he didn't even he didn't even want to stand there to get his other uh, uh you know hand ra- or watch Phil Haas get his hand raised. He was so pissed. But I mean, that's just a lesson. That's why you can't hinge your entire plan on one thing going well. Otherwise, it's probably not going to work. Now, I scored this one. Uh, personally, I had this all three rounds going to Haas. The second round was the only one I think you could make a case that Dawkins might have taken the round because he started off really strong. My reasoning for the second round is though he started strong, he didn't keep it up. And then over time, Phil Haas just kind of took over. So really, uh, between like the wrestling and, and the striking exchanges at the end of the round, Phil or, or, uh, Kyle Dawkins really only had like a, maybe a minute, minute and a half hot streak there. I didn't yeah. think it was enough to take the round, but round one, it was, uh, they were kind of trading back and forth. It was pretty even. Um, and then ha- uh, Haas got that really awesome takedown where just picked him up and just dropped him. Uh, tried to put on that Von Flu choke, didn't work out, but then was able to get right back to the feet. Didn't really cost him anything. Um, now, Dawkins was the one who wanted to spend a lot of time wrestling against the cage in that round. But he didn't do anything with it. I was like, okay, I get it. You think that maybe you can out-wrestle Phil Haas because of your Brazilian jiu-jitsu background, but you got to show us something with it. Otherwise, you're just you're letting Phil Haas rest. And that was your whole thing is like, ah, I want to make him tired, but you're not doing anything to, to really exhaust him. And then the second round, like I said, Dawkins had a success early. Uh, it was that that roundhouse. Uh, oh, he missed the roundhouse, and then he, he landed the spinning back fist to the head that was pretty cool um and he, he looked like he was going to finish it there with the combination that he followed up with but Haas stayed in the fight and then uh after that Dawkins had a little bit more success with the hands but then it started going clinch and wrestling and that's when he kind of lost it like in the wrestling situations Haas pretty much controlled him uh yeah. and, and just got time to rest and then when they broke apart he would just kind of get his shots in, go back to the wrestling, get his shots and so on and so forth. And by the third round, Haas was actually getting the better end of the striking exchange, just smacking the shit out of Dawkins. 
because he was tired. <laughs> like it was so funny. Like his plan was to exhaust Phil Haas, but it kind of backfired on him. He's like, oh fuck, I wasn't ready for three rounds of this. So he, he, basically, I mean, he basically gave up like uh, yeah. two minutes into the third third round. Like oh, as soon as it got to the ground, it was supposed to be like, all right, uh, uh, Phil Haas takes Dawkins to the ground. Now they're in front guard. This should be all Dawkins right here. That's his yes. world. Nope. Couldn't make shit happen. He just got pummeled on for like three minutes. So yeah, it was, I don't think it was the performance that Dawkins was expecting, but uh, yeah. you know, yeah, just goes to show like, you, man, yeah. Phil Haas, if he gets that cardio, he's, he's, a, he's pretty good. And, 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 <laughs> I, I wouldn't even say it was the cardio. He just managed his uh, gas tank a lot better than he did the first two fights. Like he wasn't over exerting himself early on. He was, being more methodical with his shots like he wasn't like guns mm. blazing like he usually does he was like picking and choosing and they said mm. the time he spent in thailand it did him well like he was like managing when uh, he needed to hit mm. ma- when he was managing his strikes yeah. not just going in without a like a game plan like he, was, he had a game mm. plan going in he stuck to it for the first couple of minutes it was all darkness yeah. and then it seemed to, uh, and then uh, he was Phil Hollis was able to steal around by with the last two minutes with the production that he did. He had a nice yeah. uh, shot to the stomach, and then he followed it up like a minute later with a, a significant strike to the head that caught him you know, really good, which probably like stole around one for uh Hollis. He also and had like, that big you, throw. Like, that's hard yeah. to ignore. That was a huge throw. <laughs> yeah. Very good. And it, you, you could have went kind of either way with it, but mm-hmm. it, it was like he had – like, Dawkins was doing better, and then he it, it just changed. Then round two, it was a little bit of the scene. The first half of the round, it was a little bit more Dawkins catching that halls with the strikes, here, and then he was changing uh, levels. But right. then halfway through, he changed directions, and he got caught. And then he got hit, and then it just seemed like the momentum just changed dramatically right. from the t- two minutes left in the second round mark until the rest of the fight. It was all Phil yeah. Hawes catching him with shots. Yeah. He was the one changing level, shooting down, and it felt like uh, he was able to get him, and then Dawkins just stopped. Like I felt like he just mm-hmm. gave up the guard once he got mm-hmm. changed down, and then he would just hold him and be like, okay, I'm giving giving myself up. I'm gonna try and go for a submission, and then it just never happened. I think uh, he, he couldn't work. There was there was yeah. two things I saw uh, that I think really affected Dawkins. One, Phil Haas could take him down, but Dawkins couldn't yeah. take Phil Haas down. I think that fucked with him mentally. Like, why can't I take this guy down? <laughs> I think is why he spent so much time yeah. trying to wrestle with him to like, I'm gonna get that takedown, damn it! And then it never happened. And then when they got to the ground. If you notice, one of the things Phil Haas was doing that was really smart, it made it really hard for Dawkins to do anything. He was working with the hands. He would keep them either cross-faced, which means he'd use his, his forearm just right across the neck of Dawkins to keep him from being able to really move or shift or posture. Or he would just be like pressing up against the chin with both hands as he shifted position. And then he just kind of wail on him. Um, and Dawkins was just basically, he kept him flat out like this. In jiu-jitsu, if you can't curl up and you can't shift, you're kind of dead in the water. That's where like 90% of jujitsu happens. It happens if you can move your hips and if you can get close and move away, you need, you need quite a bit of mobility from like your waist up when you're on the ground, especially in the, in the inside or in the uh, front guard position, you need more options to be able to snag those submission attempts. 
Doc or, or uh, Phil Haas was not giving him a chance. He was like, "Nope, no, <laughs> you're grounded." And a good a good point here. Phil Haas is a Jersey guy. Nope. If I'm Maybe he'll use Jersey. our promotion. <laughs> use <laughs> yes, promotion. <laughs> exactly. You got to get that ninety nine Jersey for the Jersey guy. Nope. But uh, yeah, well, if you look at the stats right here. Uh, it was mind mind blown. There was that like big of a difference. Yeah. If you watch the whole fight, like this was majority of the stats from Haas were from basically round two, like like the two minute mark of round two all the way to the end. Like he didn't do too much in the first uh, round and a half, but he he had total strikes. He had one fifty seven to uh, Darkus's fifty two significant strikes. So sixty six to twenty eight, forty two to the head. To uh, Darkus's only 20, 23 body shots to six. That, that's where the big difference was. Oh, wow. uh, one of one legs, and then two of three for a Darkest. Control time was five minutes, 34 seconds to 413 a Darkest. And then the two takedowns uh, Phil Horace had, and then zero of seven for Darkest. The, the only reason he had any control was when he. He uh, reversed it when they're already on the ground. So, right. and then that was a once it reversed, by the way, yeah, that yeah, was, that was really cool. From a he was mm-hmm. being von Flude choked and then just yeah. swept them over. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. And then one submission attempt for Phil Haas. Mm-hmm. I believe it was early in the second round where he had the he had the guillotine choke on when he was getting t- about to get Phil taken Haas? down. Phil Haas yeah. did the uh, he did the von Flude choke. That was the okay, submission okay. attempt. It didn't look like, like it's one of those things. It doesn't look like a submission unless you know what yeah. it is. It, the reason it's a submission is because he was what he was doing. He tripoded himself up, bore all his weight onto one shoulder, and then basically put that right up against Dawkins's throat. It's it's yeah. you try to get them to tap either from pain if it's not fully in, or you try to close their airways and they either tap or pass out. But it was not a hundred percent in because you could tell Dawkins was uncomfortable. He's making the face like ah ah, I don't want to be here. But it wasn't like choking <laughs> him out quite. So yeah. it would have been like a, a pain tap if he got it, but. I'm looking at the round by round stats. It looks like Phil Haas got ahead a lot, surprisingly, in the first round, and then obviously in the third round. But here on the round breakdown, it says Kyle Dacus had five significant strikes in the first, where Phil Haas had 16. Second round, that even. But yeah, that's kind of bigger than I was expecting. Like that's I I didn't expect it because of what Dacus was doing early on. He had a lot more, but I guess you could say when uh, Haas did connect and he did go for like a, a shot that it was more impactful. Whereas mm-hmm. Dawkins was just thrown uh, like whatever into the wind. Like right. he was just trying to connect and it wasn't having the same effect <laughs> as mm-hmm. Haas did, but it was good. Like I knew in his first two fights, I was very critical of his gas tank. And this is what you wanted to see from him. You wanted to see him not just go the first minute, just go, Guns blazing in, trying to knock the guy out right away. You right. kind of wanted to see this like full Arsenal fight from Phil Haas, where he managed his gas tank, where he didn't throw just a- at any time. Like he picked and chose his shots. He-, he did the same with his takedowns, and he just managed it very well. This was a really complete fight for him against yeah. a guy like Kyle da- Darkus, who's known for his grappling, and then he just he basically limited him. Uh, for more than half the fight, and then uh, he should be proud of himself. And then I'm I'm looking forward to see what he can do next, and if, if he can continue this 
style of fighting and rather than just doing the I'm gonna knock you out in a minute or I'm gonna gas out. Like right. that, no, that's no not question. something that you can rely on. But you can doing it this way, you can rely on this fight the fight to go right. this way because that, that was that was near perfect for him. Like there's a couple right. of spots that were like it could have improved on, but for the most part, this was dramatically yeah. different from his right. first two fights. I would say the the area he needs to grow a little bit more in is his striking, just because he's got yeah. power, but the technique isn't quite there. It's better than what he was doing before. He was just like yeah. throwing these wild ass haymakers. Maybe <laughs> they connect, maybe they don't. Yeah, but I think going to Thailand definitely upped his game quite a bit. Because one thing about going and training in Thailand that's different than here in the states. The training is a lot more traditional and they do place a huge, huge emphasis on endurance. Like yes. over in Thailand, the, the Thai fights they fight are, they're pretty long. They're pretty grueling fights when you go and do the oh, yeah. over there. So you have to have a big gas tank in order to last. So I think that's a little different from like doing Muay Thai for the purpose of MMA, mm -hmm. which I think, I think that's, that's where we see a big endurance difference is training over there versus training in a gym here. There's just a cultural difference. There's a purpose difference in terms of like when you train MMA there, it's to do ring fights. When you do it here, yeah. it's usually for like MMA or, or our version of ring fights, which are usually not as grueling. And if you check my my interview uh, a couple of weeks ago with John Wayne Parr, he uh, on on our YouTube page, he he, he spoke significantly about that. How no. Muay Thai is over in Thailand. He spent like a whole year or two over there, and then the style of training there is completely different. Oh yeah, but it helped him out like big time in the long run. Like he learned so much. So I can only imagine. Even though he didn't spend, of course, two years, but right. just for a guy like Phil Harris, he probably learned a lot. Oh yeah. And maybe even if he just oh, spent yeah. like a week or two there, he probably like it probably helped him out by just like game plan and wise. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, yeah. <laughs> over there, it's like Brazil is in soccer or soccer yes. is in Brazil. You know, like it's that serious. Like it's that there's that many people who can teach Muay Thai because everybody knows a little. But mm -hmm. to be a Muay Thai teacher, you got to be like one of the best. There's very few people who can really open a Muay Thai gym and survive because Muay Thai is everywhere. So because there's so much of it, the best gyms kind of rise to the top and then everybody else just doesn't get the kind of business they need. So yeah. they can't stay open long enough. Um, so yeah, it, it, big difference in his strike. He definitely saw some of the Thai influence in his kicking as well. Still those awesome kicks. They were landing and they were hurting Doc because he didn't like that. So that's another thing he could he could definitely work on. Um, I liked how he was blending the striking with his wrestling instead of like doing one or the other, which is one thing he would do before. Um, as soon as the striking stopped working, he'd just go fuck it and just charge in and try to get try to force a wrestling situation. But this was a lot more even, a lot more blended. Um, but I do want to see him potentially get like a, a, a fifteen to ten range fight. Uh, somewhere in there, maybe give him like Kevin Holland because Kevin Holland's always looking for a fight. Um, but I think it would also be an interesting matchup because I don't think Kevin Holland could handle Phil Haas's wrestling, but no. I think Phil Haas couldn't handle Kevin Haas or Kevin Holland striking. So it'd be a good kind of test for them both because either yeah. Kevin Holland lets Phil Haas get too close and then we just get what happened to him with Vittori again, or uh, um. Kevin Holland's able to keep him at range. And now we're going to see how well Phil Haas has progressed at his striking. Yeah. So I think that'd be a good test for both of them, especially now that, that Kevin Holland's kind of on a losing streak. They can need something to help him bounce back or even give him um, uh, Brad Tavares. Maybe. I don't know. 
Something in that 10 I, to 15 I could see, range. I could, yeah, I could see something in that. He definitely, with this performance, he earns that mm-hmm. like 15, 14, 15 spot now, or at least right. 16. Kevin's only 13 right now. He's falling yeah, yeah. a lot. It's, it's, oof. he's, uh, so, whoa, what the fuck? So Strickland jumped up to 11. Strickland, Strickland's Holy 11. He <laughs> <laughs> was 15. Yeah. How, the yeah. fuck? How the fuck? He won one well, point well, against someone not ranked. It's probably, it's probably it's probably because Wyman yeah. Wyman of course he's not gonna play anytime soon he he, right. he lost yeah. Holland lost twice Amari Akhmadov and Brad Tavares are fighting each other in the next couple of weeks they both moved down although uh, Akhmadov yeah. moved down two spots it said they yeah. moved him to fourteen from like so oh, because I guess because but... Strickland won his fight <laughs> and won it pretty well they moved him up because he's the he's been he's the only guy to win out of them so that's four yeah. spots though that's a huge jump for fighting someone yeah. not ranked <laughs> like jesus that, that's what happens yeah. when you win and these guys lose strickland's a lucky boy i guess yeah. <laughs> it just it just worked exactly. out for him. he's like oh look at that i'm number 11 now <laughs> But let's get that. Let's get moving on oh, to the God. second fight on the card. We had a lightweight right. matchup. I was, I was. This was really entertaining. This one. It was a lightweight matchup between Gregor Gillespie going up against uh, Diego Ferrer, where Gregor Gillespie won by second round uh, TKO. Oh, uh, yeah. What did you take from this fight? Ah, oh, this this was this was beautiful right here. This was a clinic in dealing with Brazilian jiu-jitsu using wrestling. And it just showcased Gregor Gillespie still got that crazy endurance, you know? Um, it, it The the first round was kind of hard to call. This went to the judges. Uh, this would have been a tough fight to call because both guys were just going at it. They were just, they were just going ham. So you, you, you had uh, Gillespie look like he was getting the better end of the stand-up exchanges at the beginning of the round. Uh, but then Gillespie got the takedown. And then after that scramble, Ferreira kind of pulled ahead in the hands because he got that uh, that big four-punch combo on Gillespie. Um, and I think that that kind of that rocked him a little bit. Yeah. Because then after that, Gillespie was real invested in shooting for those takedowns and trying to take it to the ground. And at first, Ferreira was able to just kind of like get taken down, shoot out, get back up. Gillespie shoots again. Ferreira gets out. That sort of thing. Um, but eventually he did take down Ferrer and keep him there and he managed to keep him on the ground, which this was, this was crazy. So I, I wrote down the, the two grappling exchanges, which were the most insane in this whole thing. So Gillespie managed to get Ferrer on the ground after slipping out of a crucifix position, which that on its own is pretty, that's a pretty big, yeah, that was, that was like, nuts. <laughs> it, was, it was in too. Yeah. It was yes. in, I was like, holy shit, that's some magic right there. And then as soon as he gets out I thought, of the crucifix, I thought he had him. I thought he I had him, and then he rolled. And then he rolled out. He like he rolled over really fast. And I'm like, geez, how did he get out of that? Because I thought he was gonna yeah. be, be done. I thought the fight was almost done there. Because I was like, if he right. just cranks it in there, he has it. And then out of nowhere, he like just. Oh, you're talking about the Omicada escape. You're talking about yeah. I'm talking about the, in the beginning, the crucifix position. Oh, okay, yeah. That's even harder to slip out of crucifix. <laughs> that's when you basically. Uh, you you typically hit it from the turtle guard position, which is somebody uh, is, is basically in like the fetal position. You're on your knees yeah. and your elbows and you're like this. And the way you you learn it traditionally is you take your feet and you wrap them around one arm, like right around the inside. And then mm-hmm. you take your hands and you grab the other arm and you kind of keep it close to you. You roll over and you spread them out so that your legs lock up one, one arm and then you're holding the other one. You can pass it and then it's a neck crank how to finish. 
But yeah. what Ferreira did, he had one leg controlled, uh, controlling one arm, and then he cinched up the second hand, and Gillespie got out. <laughs> just like, I don't know if he like slack armed it, which is when you just kind of yeah. like turn and allow your hand to go kind of behind your back, creates more space, you can slide out. I don't know how he did it, but he got out of there, but he fell immediately into an omoplata. That's the one you're talking about where he rolled out of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and then he, uh, and then from there he like go to, went to slip into Mount and then Ferreira slipped out of the Mount and got Gillespie in front of him. And he was doing a double leg, which yes. Gillespie countered with a wizard. That was when he had that overhook and he forced them both to the yeah. ground face first and he wasn't able to keep it. And that's when they got back to the feet, but that whole exchange was nuts, man. It was it was all over the place. And then the rest of the round was just like wrestling against the cage and, and Ferreira managed to get Gillespie's back, but he didn't, he didn't finish. He could have like, he could have done what Gillespie did to him in the second round, but he, you know, was either tired or he was too focused on looking for submissions one or the other. But um, the other big, the other big grappling moment was in the second round. Um, Ferreira looked like he was trying to keep Gillespie on his feet in striking range, but Gillespie just did the same thing in the first round where he just kept shooting. He just wouldn't let it happen. <laughs> Eventually, he managed to like make something happen. It was when Ferreira attempted the uh, the guillotine choke, and when he yes. tried to like lock it up and fall back, um, and it, it it didn't work because immediately Gregor slipped out, and he was uh, let's see, oh yeah, Ferreira put his upper body between uh, Gregor's Gillespie leg, and then he just like use a sit over sweep. That's when uh, Gregor was on top and he just kind of like poked his head out. And then he like sat up and controlled both feet and forced him over to his back. Uh, and then after the sit up sweep for uh, stayed on him, but uh, stepped around to take his back. But then Gillespie sat up to prevent the back take and ended up in this, this like weird position where he was like right in between Ferrer's legs when he was standing up. I was like, what are you doing down there guy? <laughs> and then, uh, uh Gillespie used that to throw his balance off and turn that into a single leg, which Ferrer immediately countered with a Kimura attempt. And that was the other time when he grabbed the arm and he fell back and he tried to do the Kimura. Then uh, Gillespie rolled out of the Kimura attempt, which it looked like he had won that exchange because like Ferrer was like this. He was like on his back, like trying to hold on to that, that Kimura, which was gone. But then he used that to like swing his legs around and take the back, which was, that was nuts. I, I don't know how the hell he did that. That's some flexibility I'm definitely not capable of. <laughs> that was nuts. And then Gillespie shook him off, um, forced his way into Ferreira's half guard. And that's when he got tired. Ferreira was was kind of, he was tired of this game at this point. And he started I, to I just think he couldn't position. keep up with the pace of a Gillespie. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's crazy to think that Gillespie just keeps on going, going, going. And to me, it was like yeah. a tear of two, basically two halves, the first round and the second round. Right. He, in the first round, like Gillespie just kept on going, like shoot, shoot, shoot. Yeah. He would take him down, but then uh, Ferreira uh, uh, would just get up right away. Like he yeah. wouldn't be able to hold him down. He, he would get him down, but then Ferreira would just pop back up. He would hit him with like a couple of like significant strikes, but mm-hmm. then uh, Gregor Gillespie would shoot back in. And by the end of the round, he looked tired. Like yeah. he looked like he, he like done. if you looked at <laughs> it, at the end of the first round, you could see uh, Gillespie kind of like stumble right before he goes back to his. Uh, they had that the doctor they, check him. They had yeah. the doctor make sure like you're all right, all right. Don't pass that like, on us. <laughs> they're, they're like they're like oh he 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 just looks very winded. I'm like shit. Yeah. I'm like. This guy just keeps going, going, going. He he might mm. just be gas, but then all of a sudden he starts out like they start out training him for the first minute, 
Then they do all that, like rolling around, like shoot. Gillespie starts shooting again. He doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. And then he finally gets him down because of the the, the, the bulldog that that uh, Ferreira tried to do, and he slips down. And then I guess he gives himself up. It looks like he gives himself up, or he tried to go for the guillotine, and he uh, Gillespie slips out. He mm-hmm. falls back, and then he gets him gets him in mount. And then it mm-hmm. seemed like from there on, he gets like a second wind. Like you, you're like shit, Gregor Gillespie gets a second wind. <laughs> you don't want that to happen because right. then he just boom, he just goes into a second drive. And then it seemed uh, to me at that point, that's when Ferreira started to lose a little gas. He started mm-hmm. to get a little bit tired. And then Gillespie just took over. He was just like right. take down, take down, take down. Then let me switch over, and then he gets mm-hmm. on top of his back. He gets on back. I'm like, okay, maybe he'll get like a a get like a rear naked choke. Well, that here. was that was brilliant. That was another. So it yeah. looked like he was going for the rear naked, but he didn't. Yes, I didn't mm-hmm. notice it the first time, but then when I watched the second time, I was like, oh shit, I see what he did there. That was brilliant. So what he did mm-hmm. is when Ferrer was tired and he was in the half guard anyway, he like basically stacked Ferrera. Uh, yeah. And that almost didn't work out because Ferreira did an armbar attempt, but he, you know, slipped his arm out at the last yes. minute. Um, Ferreira tried to collect the leg, roll over, uh, and then he Gillespie turned out to maintain the position on the back. Now that's what he went for the first rear naked choke, but it wasn't an actual attempt. What happened was he uh, uh, went to take the back, slip in the rear naked, so that he could like slip behind Ferreira. And then what he did is he used his arm that was across Ferreira's neck to basically force him down to the canvas as he slipped out from behind him, and then transitioned to mount. It was brilliant. I was like, ah, I never even thought of doing that. That's so fucking yeah. smart. Because they're only worried about this. So if you just kind of like base out and push them down and then just, you know, slide your knee over, you got them mm-hmm. out right there, which yes. most people would be focused on the finish. But he was like, nah, I'm, I'm going to the mount. And then like some other crazy shit happened. It was, um, there was a knee ride involved because as soon as uh, uh, Gillespie went to take the mount, uh, Ferrero tried to bridge him off and then that didn't work out. So he collected a leg to try to sweep him over. And then Gillespie stepped out, just kind of spun around on top of his back. Uh, that's when he sunk hips in yeah. and then attempted the real naked, naked, rear naked choke attempt. And then after that, it was pretty much over. Like, Ferrer put up a little bit more of a defense. He tried to, like, get out from the back. He tried to turn in like you're supposed to, you know, base out and and, and try to get uh, get yourself out of that situation. But Gregor wouldn't let him breathe. And, of course, yeah. we put him right back and finished the fight. It was brilliant. It was whew. Big crazy. Yeah, but yeah, but here are the stats right here. You had Gillespie, who's on the right. He had 53 total strikes to 37 of Diego. Uh, significant strikes, he had 45 to 31. Uh, head strikes, 37 to 31. So all the, the significant strikes from uh, Ferreira were Probably, head yeah. strikes. Probably from and the body shots. Mm. Yeah, body shots, 7 of 9 for Gregor. 0 of 0 uh, for, uh, of course, Ferreira. And then uh, Gregor had one leg strike to zero of Diego's. And then control time was five minutes, 10 seconds to <laughs> one minute, six seconds. Four of eight takedowns oh. to zero of two takedowns. And neither had a submission attempt. Even though, you know, Gregor could have had one a couple of times, but well, he did. He end, did it at the end, yeah. but he didn't sink it but in. He chose, that rear naked yeah. choke. Well, he did two then, rear naked. The first one was fake, the second one was real, but he didn't have it. And then uh, I knew I knew it was done once, uh, once uh, Freida just 
put his head on the ground like this. Yeah. Like he was he was just gassed. He was done. Yeah, just look at it. his head. His head's all red right there. He was done from the yeah. uh, before those even shots came in. And then he like like he didn't defend himself. He put his hand on his head and just laid there. It was like, okay, I'm done. He yeah. was like, I'm yeah. tired. And then they, they called for it. And it mm. sucks for him because I think it was only like 15 seconds left in the round, too. Like <laughs> literally know, 15, he almost made it. <laughs> there was he almost made it made uh, it there, but not not enough time. And oh, it's just man. like all you had to do was make it that extra few seconds, and then you would have been good. Right. But he wasn't able to make it, which sucks for him. But uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. They made a good point. The commentators were right. Like a lot of the time when it comes to grappling stuff, unless there's like a huge skill gap where one person who's just so much better than the other one, it really does kind of come down to endurance, especially if you guys are both yeah. like equally good. It's who breaks first a lot of the time because if they'll go for a submission attempt. You're like, I know how to defend that. And then you do it. And then they're like, I know how to defend that. And then eventually one of you is going to get tired enough to like accept a bad position, let the other person get too much work in, not have the strength to like get your way out. And then you lose. But in yeah. wrestling, it's even worse because there's no submissions. It's pinning. So it really is whoever gets tired first and is just yes. like, fuck it, go ahead and pin me. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> how, how much time is there? 10 seconds. Oh, that's an eternity. Fuck that. Like, but the, but the, they're luckily going to swap spots. Uh, Gillespie's mm -hmm. going to go from 14 to yeah. 12, and then Ferrer's going to go from 12 to 14. I think so, uh, Ke Ke Kevin Lee's not, uh, almost ready to come back. That's the one loss. Uh, Gillespie had hmm. so I, I don't think that'll be ready for that. You got M Makovich who's 11. That's what I, I want think... to see. I want to see him with Makovich because they're uh, two it's... wrestlers, but they're very different flavors of yeah, wrestling, you know. And then just the speed. I don't, yeah. I, for some reason, I don't think they would do that right away because I feel like mm. I, I, I feel mm. like they would give Makovich like Dan Hooker. I think because Bar Darius mm. is gonna fight uh Ferguson. Dan Hooker and Rafael Josainus don't have anybody right now. Felder doesn't have anybody. I could see one of them getting Felder and then the other getting Hooker, Dan Hooker. So you have like a difference in styles for both fights. I don't think they would just be like, okay, I'm going to get these two wrestlers against each other. I think they want to give those well, two Well, they kind of did that with Ferreira, though. They were like, I'm going to get this grappling guy with this other grappling guy. We're going to see which grappling works better. Yeah. So, I mean... Well, it, well originally, it was supposed to be, originally, it was supposed to be Gillespie and Riddell. Oh, and then, it was, and then uh, they picked, pinned him with... Uh, uh, what's his name? He pinned him with uh, Ferreira. Uh, Ferreira because of that that one getting scrapped the day of last month. Oh, shit, Really? Yeah, huh. yeah, it was the Comey. What was it, it was for? Comey, was it like COVID or? Yes, COVID. I think it was uh, oh, Brad Liddell's side. Somebody on his side wound up giving COVID. So oh, his boy. whole team got put in COVID protocol. So that fight got scrapped the day of, and it was supposed to be the Comey event. So so then instead of having their, their rematch, they booked this, and then they booked Brad Liddell against Drew Dober, who got demolished by Islam oh Makovich. Yes. <laughs> that, was, that was real that was, bad. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> real bad. Oh yeah. shit. So I feel like I for some reason I feel like they do Makovich hooker because it would make like a really good like eight eleven matchup. Like a good striker and hooker against like a 
the Sambo yeah. like wrestler and yeah. Makovic. It's gonna be like it was the last time Makovic went against Drew Dober. Like you got a guy who's real heavy with the hands, and you got a yeah. guy who's like, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna make you do the thing you suck at because I'm better yeah. than you at it. And then they're gonna be like, Well, fuck, I don't have any answers. And then I feel like well, and then I work. feel like I feel like that's gonna I be feel, a fight. Yeah, I feel like either. <laughs> Either they're going to give Gillespie Paul Felder, or Felder's not ready yet because he does the commentary. Right. And yeah. then, then I think they're putting him up against uh, seventh ranked Rafael Dosanos, which would be a pretty good matchup. Uh, they'll feed these two guys that are ready to break into the top 10 uh, guys there that I feel like maybe don't know if they should still be there or not or sure. give, give them tests. So I feel like that would be a good test for both of those. And yeah. both of those guys. Maybe down the road we can see Makachev and uh, Makachev and uh, Gillespie go at it because that would be an interesting yeah. wrestling match. That's the thing. They're there, not the two that. guys, so they wouldn't accept the bottom position. They'd be fighting for a top position the whole fight. <laughs> Great. I'm, I'm just picturing uh, Gillespie rolling around like uh, <laughs> with him. He's like, uh, "You might get me down, but I'm not going to let you keep me down." Right? It'd be a good out. match. Yeah. It'd be a good fucking match. Because then, because then Makachev is going to try to yeah. do the thing Khabib did, where he, where he like locks in the legs, and then I'm sure Gillespie's going to use some magic to get out of that, just like he did with the freaking crucifix. Yeah. He's just like, "Oh, by the way, I could detach both of my legs and just slip out of here and put them back on. It's fine." Like, I want to see but, that. That's, that's but let's move on. Oh, the, let's move on to the third fight of the car, which was very boring. Ugh. It's a heavyweight matchup between Ugh. Marcus Rogerio de Lima, who defeated Maurice Green by yeah. unanimous decision. De Lima moved to 19 1 and 1 overall, 7 5 in the UFC. And then he, uh, Maurice Green falls to 9 and 7, 4 and 4 in the UFC. Uh, what did you take from this? And we went from one of the most exciting matches to one of the most <laughs> <Yes>. boring matches. <laughs> like, like, I get it. That's hard match to follow. Ferreira Gillespie. That that'd be hard to top. But Delima didn't even try. And that's the thing. Yeah. That's what the commentators are saying. Even though he took all three rounds, no question, he took all three rounds. This wasn't a good showing for either one of them. Like all Delima would do every round is he'd go in for the takedown, sit in the half guard and just lay in prey, basically just throwing in these like little pussy ass punches. But he could have, like they were saying, you can just transition to mount. It's not even a hard transition to do no. any jujitsu white belt learns it within like a few months of training. And Delima's from Brazil. Like the place where that shit comes from. <laughs> like, it's just embarrassing to see that bad of groundwork from a guy whose native country came up with this idea of like, Hey, instead of like the middle ground where everybody else is working, like the wrestling and the judo stuff, let's only focus on the ground stuff. And that's what they got really good at. And then Delima's was like, uh, I'm just going to stay on top of them and hit them sometimes. And they can do any of that other stuff. Like this is just this is good enough for me. So, I don't know. Both guys need work on their game, specifically their ground game and their wrestling. Especially now in the heavyweight division, there's this new crop of heavyweights coming up that are very capable grapplers, which that wasn't necessarily true in the past. A lot of them were more heavily into the striking or even like the clinch game. But now you've got guys like Stipe and Nganu who's been touching up his wrestling quite a bit, apparently. Uh, you, you got Curtis Blades, Cyril gone, Victor Volkov got some moves on the ground at least. Um, like if he's hoping to do 
even remotely successful in the heavyweights, he's going to have to step up his, his wrestling game. Even breaking into the top 15, he's got Olenek sitting right there. So neither of them have a fucking chance of getting past Olenek unless they fix some shit. But, but yeah, just keep them in the bottom ranks for now. Let them do some more minor fights, build up their experience. They might just end up being, you know, career fighters who end up, you know, sticking somewhere in the, you know, 20s to 40s range, never really break out of that. Which, given that the performance, I'm fine with it. Like, there was nothing there that I was like, oh, well, these guys could be a real problem in this division. No, no, not really. I didn't see it. Not from that performance. <laughs> I think the most exciting part of the fight was when, at the end of the second round... Uh, <laughs> the <foul> punch. <laughs> yeah, which, which, which I get it from uh, both sides, uh, right. what was going on. Like, you had uh, Bree Green, who has hands in uh, Delima's eyes yeah and then uh, and then Delima is paying attention to that then he just wants to wear him because he had him in his eyes right and he gets pissed off mm-hmm. and then then you then you see uh uh herb Dean go get the fucking off or what what yeah. the fucking move or something like oh, that, that was, like that oh. was uh Maurice on the bottom it was like motherfucker what <laughs> like he was mad that he threw no, no, no. punch no then herb Dean goes motherfucker move that was her like, I thought it was Maurice. Yeah, no, no shit. Then, then, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's usually exactly. so professional. Yeah, it, <laughs> I would not have cut yes. that from her. And, and then it cuts right to commercial because you see like the the angry eyes from yeah. uh, Delima. Then you come back, you you go back, and then you see Herb Dean go. Look at the thing. He was like, he goes to uh, Delima. Mm-hmm. He was no, no. He goes to Maurice Green. He was like, I'm just letting you know. It was like I looked at the thing. You had your hands on his eyes. That's why he did that. It was like you got to watch it. And he's like Delima. He was like yours was worse. He was like you hit him after the bell. He was like if I wanted to next time, like it'll be more than uh, me docking a point. So then David Cormier. It didn't seem to translate to all the cards. Only one judge seemed to actually take a point off. The other one. Yeah. yeah. And then did did you hear Cormier and uh, uh, go like, he was like, did he take the point off? Yeah. It was so ambiguous. It was like, wait, do we take it off? Or is that a warning? Only one judge did it. The other two were like, "Ah, I guess he didn't mean it. Well, I don't (laughs) think the point was going to matter anyway in in the long run, but, but if you, but yeah, like, like I think the big thing with this was Delima. All I had to do is take him down. Uh, Maurice Green couldn't do anything. The, there was one yeah. time then where he pushed back, and you're like, "Oh, sh- good." You're oh, when he sprung off the page, yeah, yeah. You're at least trying to get up, but then he got just pushed back down. And and then mm. I was expecting more from him because he gave up so easy. They even said it. They're like in the second round. They're like, he's posturing his legs to where he's given up position so he could just go for submissions. And it's like, at least try to get up. Well, no, like, he couldn't even do submissions with where his legs were. What they were saying is, if you want to work from front guard, typically yeah. the, the basic mistake everybody makes when you're like a white belt in jiu-jitsu is you lock the feet yeah. too fast. Now, locking the feet is fine because it prevents posturing. And like, if you're on your back and another guy gets to his feet, then that's just a whole mess that's a lot more different. You got to go into like De La Hiva and X-Guard shit, which is typically like blue belt stuff. So you try to keep yeah. them close if you can. So, but once you have like, even like a collar grip or like you can control the wrists, 
unlock your feet and start working them on the hips because what that allows you to do, it allows your hips to move. And if you're going to get an arm bar, that's arm bar 101. Yes. Put one, <laughs> one foot yeah. on the hip, the other one, put it in the arm bar, turn your hips through because that gives you the positioning to straighten out the bottom arm, put your leg over and finish. Maurice wasn't even doing that. He would just, they weren't even locked. They were just sitting no. there. I was like, what exactly? No, they were saying it's because Maurice is such a tall guy. It's kind of hard to like work your legs in. I was like, that seems like bullshit to me. Like, a, I, a tall I don't guy, know. A, a, a I think you just didn't know how to do that. <laughs> a, a tall guy with an 80 inch reach advantage. I mean, right. 80 inch reach. Right. Like he could have found ways. Like just look at it. Like it, the total strikes was one sixty six to sixty over a hundred. Yeah, a strikes difference. Significant strikes was fourteen to five because ma majority of the strikes were on the ground. Uh, Eleven to the head to three. Uh, body was two for Delima, one for a green. Legs leg shots was one of one for both of them, and then control time fourteen minutes and six <laughs> seconds out of a total out of a possible fifteen minutes yep. uh, uh, in, in the in the cage. So they only were not in the uh, like the basically takedown for fifty seconds. That's it. Mm. But I felt like it was more than that. Takedowns was three or four to zero, and then of course no submissions. Just like you said, it was the. It was the classic lay and pray uh, that you expected right. from John Finch, but just from Delima. But you know what? It was born, but I can't blame Delima for it because Maurice Green did do shit to defend against it. Like Delima made that makes it worse, though. If you have someone not defending, that gives you license to do whatever you want to them to finish. He could have gone for submissions. He could have passed to guard and just finished this with a TKO via grounded. He didn't do shit. His punches even sucked. Like he did nothing. I want to, I oh want to see. I want to see uh, like a quote from Dana White on this fight. <laughs> I want to see a quote from him and see what he says about this. Oh, he's super bad. I bet. Uh, I bet he's it, so pissed <laughs> because he would crucify this matchup. He was mad the, at Cyril gone for the for the uh, yes. fight he had with Rosenstreak. He's probably livid over this shit, big time. Because <laughs> even oh like, my god, Cyril gone that he played a smart fight. There's no way you can't look at that yeah. before and be like, yeah, he did what he had to do to yeah. win. That's what you do against Rosenstruck, who just counter strikes with heavy shots. He played a good game. This wasn't playing a good game. This was like, I'm bigger than you, and I'm gonna squish you like a bug. Like that's that was his game plan here. Like, but now, uh, but now we're gonna go from a born fight to a nice technical fight that we had mm -hmm. on here. It was mm -hmm. a welterweight matchup between Near Magni, who defeated Jeff Neal by unanimous decision. Near Magni moves. To 25 and 9, 18 and 7 in the UFC, and then Jeff Neal drops the 13 and 4 or 5 and 2 in the UFC. What did you take from this yeah. fight? Yeah, this this was it was kind of uh I, I don't know if it was say I don't know if it's fair to say you could have called it from the onset, but for some reason, I don't know what it is. <laughs> like whenever <laughs> these guys with real heavy strikes, like like uh Jeff Neal get into fights with, you know, guys like Magni who are a little taller, a little lankier, uh, definitely know more for the grappling side of things. They just don't throw hands like they should. And here's the thing. The only reason Magni won 
was because he made Neil fight the fight he wanted to do, right? Like Neil was was having to answer to Magni the whole fight, the whole time Magni stayed in control, not just of like the, the clinch exchanges and stuff, but he just dictated everything that Neil did and yeah. Neil just went along with it. He just let him do it for some weird reason. I feel like if he had just let his hands go with some confidence, he could have walked away with the finish. Like he could have knocked him the fuck out. Personally, I had this one scored Neil uh, in the first and then Magni took the last two rounds because Neil at the beginning, he was fresh. He wasn't like, you know, worried about the kicks or anything. He was just going to go in there and, and land some big shots. And he was doing pretty well because Magni, all he really had was those kicks. He would, he would throw front kicks, occasionally throw in some rounds, but he had real long legs. So that was the only way he could think to keep Neil off of him. But Neil, you know, at the beginning, those kicks hadn't worn him down yet. So he just kind of was like, all right, that's fine. And then he just forced his way through into striking range. And he was, you know, landing some big shots on him. But over time, I, I don't know if it was the kicks that got him. I don't know if it was the fact that uh, uh, he was kind of wary of going into striking range with Magni because what would happen is Magni would pull those big shots at him as the fight went on and then force like a clinch situation to where he would just be in control of the clinch. And then Neil couldn't use the striking to its fullest potential because he was so tight um, in terms of like the, the quarters they were in. Um, and then as the fight got longer and longer, it felt like Neil didn't have the energy to keep like trying to be super, super aggressive and he was being discouraged from staying in that striking range. But that's that's really how we needed to win this fight because it was like he wasn't in the sweet spot. You know, he was either in kicking range or he was so close that Neil Magny would just clinch him and wrestle him and then he couldn't do the striking he's really good at. Um, and, and yeah, that's that's pretty much how this fight went down, all three rounds. The first round was a little better, but then once Magny got, him to, got that control over him, got into his head, mm -hmm. it was all over after that. But... Um, yeah, he said he wants Vicente Luque. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't think Magni can take Vicente Luque. I don't think I don't think he's ready for that fight. I I think I, what they I think <laughs> yeah I think what they were saying before, which would be better, even though I think he would lose this one anyway, mm -hmm. was the Kamjat Shimov fight that was supposed to get right. that going. Uh, like Shimov just came out and said. He's ready to go, whether it's welterweight or middleweight. He doesn't care which which one. He wants to fight by August, so yeah. like he he's ready to, to get things going after being out for six months hmm. with uh, due to COVID and uh, several uh, COVID scares. So he's ready. But okay. just like you said, like th this was a, a interesting matchup in itself. Like, like you didn't feel like Magny was well. J just my opinion, you didn't feel like he was winning rounds mm -hmm. because of everything going on because he was being more of like the counter guy like jeff near was just coming in early on in the first round and a half hitting him with nice strikes but it, it just felt like uh, when then uh, magni was coming in after that he was hitting him with like several strikes like it was like mm -hmm. one significant strike but then he magni would sneak in like three or four shots every single time yeah. just you didn't see it as much because you were just you were just paying attention to the big strike by Nier, mm -hmm. him coming rushing in, but then some of the times you'd see uh, Manny hit him with a kick and then follow it up with a shot. So you're like, oh, big shot, but then you you weren't computing the the kick and the strike that followed it by Manny, and then that just uh, halfway through mm -hmm. he was just able to like get behind Neil, 
getting with shots, controlling him. New York started to get tired a, a little bit. And then it was just Magny with the combinations uh, going forward. And as you see here, he, he like he had 89 total strikes to 37 of Neil, yeah. 55 significant strikes to 35, 34 to the head to 30 of uh, Neil, 18 body shots to only five of Neil, three leg shots to zero of Neil, and then control time was one minute, 43 seconds to three minutes, 50 seconds. Yeah. Uh, Magny had two of 10 takedowns and then one of two for Neil and neither had a submission attempt. I think mm-hmm. with the, the big thing here was the body shots. Like I said, yeah. he did a lot of like, like he did a couple kicks to the body and then he did a bunch of just body shots in general coming from behind. And I think over time that they, they got to uh, Jeff, you know, they slowed him down. And even though if you just watch it, like if you don't like think about it, you'll be like, why didn't Neil win? It, it just mm-hmm. seemed like he he was winning because he was being more the aggressor. It's because of just like he would do one thing and then Maddie would just come in lightly with several shots. He was just getting himself sneakily ahead on the scorecard without mm-hmm. you even knowing. And then to the point to where Neil's like, shit. Like, I got to start getting more shots in. Mm. Or he's going to sneak away at the victory, even though I'm doing more of the the harder strikes early on. And then that's when he got tired because he was trying to press too much. Mm. And then Magny was able to take take advantage in, in the, like, the halfway through the second into the third round. He was just right. like, okay, I'm taking over now. And well, then, of the course, thing. I don't think he necessarily got tired until probably the end of the second going into the third. Yes. I think what happened was, yeah, is that Neil uh, was like, all right, he's got these long ass legs and these long ass arms and I'm, <laughs> keep getting kicked and shit. Um, so I think his strategy was to take the counter offensive, which was basically mm-hmm. like Rosenstruck's bread and butter, right? Wait till they make a mistake and land something heavy. Because like I said, he couldn't find that sweet spot. He couldn't keep it right in striking range where he wanted the fight to be because Magny would either have the long legs so he'd be fighting at a distance where his punches couldn't reach or he'd get too close and the Magny's like, oh good, we can wrestle and clinch, which he wasn't good at. Yeah. So he had trouble maintaining that middle ground. So I think his plan was like, all right, I'm going to wait for Magny to throw a dumb shot and then counter strike. But the problem was he just get, kept getting checked. It was kind of like the, the Strickland and uh, Jotko fight. Strickland yes. wasn't trying to knock him out. He was just placing those shots, placing them, placing them. And then over time they added up and every once in a while, he's like, Oh, there's an opportunity. Big shot. You know, mm-hmm. that was basically Magny's approach on this. And it worked because he's got those long ass legs and shit. And, and Neil just didn't have an answer for a ranged opponent um, because he doesn't have really a wrestling background. So he can't like force the, the wrestling situation and take those long limbs out of the equation. That's, that's Magni's specialty. So he was just between a rock and a hard place on this one. But speak of this, if you're Maurice screen, you're hitting up Neil Magni right now. (laughs) You're hitting him up and you're like, you're like, train me your ways. The please. ways of, of of Neil Magny because how to not suck, yeah. please. Yeah, because because <laughs> Maurice Green has that 80, in, 80 inch reach and he couldn't use shit of it. He didn't do anything. Right. But Neil Magny comes on after him and shows him exactly what he needs to do yeah. for that style. Like he did it like perfectly without really having to like go crazy. Like he was just like okay. Time in this, time in that. Like he's right. still c- connecting on his strikes against me, 
mm-hmm. early on, but I'm racking the, the 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 points up with the judges. And I'm going to make him get frustrated of that, and then having to overdo things. Right. And then by that time, I'm now up two rounds to none, and you're getting tired now. So it's like you got to finish me, but you've already yeah. like wrapped up a lot of your gas tank. Yeah. So now it's going to be thing. Neil yeah. was already programmed at that point too. Like programming mm-hmm. is, is something we refer to uh, when we're training, you can program an opponent to anticipate what you're going to do based on previous behavior, because that's all someone can operate on. Like if you're fighting someone, the only thing you can use to predict what they might do is what they've already done. So you can trick somebody using that. Like if you throw yeah. two low kicks and then you look like you're going to throw a low kick, if you throw something high, it'll probably land because they're waiting for the low kick. They're not waiting yeah. for the cross that's hitting them in the face. So like for Neil, he had gone through that same process so many times. It was like in his mind, he couldn't even think to like, maybe I don't play his game. Maybe I, you know, change things up and try something he's not expecting me to do. Cause I think he was just, it was already in his head. You know, he just was like, ah, if I get too close, I'm going to have to wrestle. But if I, if I'm too far away, he's going to kick me. There's, there's no way out. Shit. What do I do? What do I do? <laughs> like, I think, I think he just kind of broke down, unfortunately. Cause I mean, he's good. He's good. He's got solid punches. It's just I'm looking take at, that away. Yeah, what, I'm looking at the I, this. This is crazy. I'm looking at the rankings right now, and I'm like, how does Michael Chiesa move up over Luke when just one? <laughs> no, no, no. Not only is, is it just one, but Luke far after him. Yeah, and he won. And Luke won. Yeah. Luke beat Woodley, and then Chiesa beat Magni. <laughs> but the Chiesa fight was literally a month or so beforehand. Did so Luke. Huh? Did Woodley retire? He's not on the rankings anymore. Yeah, they they released him. Oh, that's he's right. A, I was like, okay. Yeah. He, he's yeah. a free agent, but I think they brought him back as an analyst. Oh, oh, oh yeah, that's yeah, right. That, he was in yeah. the pre-show shit, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yes. That's right. So, okay. so I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna do that now, unless he decides he wants to. No, but he's pretty good. No. I knew it. Fuck no. it. Stick around. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah. it, it's crazy because he far. And it's like, okay, then Luke fought, moved ahead of Chiesa, and neither of them have fought since. So mm-hmm. what changed in this week, last week, to move Chiesa up over Luke one spot? It's Whereas, weird. They're both, they're both written in as six. If you look close, they're both number six. Okay. Really and odd. Then, like, what? Which is odd. <laughs> and, then why, and then why is it that Stephen Thompson, who has them fought in, the same, uh, in a longer time, is number four now. I mean, and he, he hasn't fought since. Knows. He, <laughs> and then he hasn't fought <laughs> since he beat Jeff Neal, Jeff Neal's yeah. last fight, right? <laughs> so he hasn't fought. So it's like, so then you look here. Magny's number nine now. He beat uh, Neal, who, who's ten. So Maya's fighting Muhammad, so you can't fight him. I think it's flip around rankings tomorrow because it's Tuesday. Yes, they're gonna. Okay, yes. so he might move up, maybe a spot. I don't know. Yeah, because Maya's so, already booked, isn't he? My he's fighting Muhammad now. That's right. Yeah, yeah they're, they're booked yeah. with each other. Hmm. Uh, so it, the, the only logical thing is Luke or or yeah, probably Luke or Masvidal because I don't think he can Magni- do Luke. <laughs> I don't think he can handle Luke. Personally. Well, well, maybe he mask it all. I think it maybe do okay against yeah, yeah. all. because Chiesa beat him already. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. His last fight, so Chiesa is going to look out 
up upwards. Sure. I don't know who he's gonna have to wait. Like I, I still think <laughs> they should do. Yeah. I still think they should do Chiesa Luque or Chiesa Covington. Uh, that's like because apparently Usman's waiting. Apparently Usman wants Edwards, the Edwards Diaz winner. So like, <laughs> so Edwards then. Yeah. <laughs> no <ideas>. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Usman Diaz. Oh fuck. <laughs> exactly. But there's this this moves oh, to be no. me, but uh, <clears throat> but it was a good it was a good win for Magni. Like he he just he's been around forever. He just it seems like like he floats around that same like yeah. five to ten range for the yeah. longest time. Then he gets that really good fight yeah. and then he just loses it. Like Chiesa was able to control yeah. him on the ground for a lot of that fight. So yeah, I mean went, I don't see anybody in the top five who he could realistically beat. I I, I don't see. Oh uh, yeah yeah because well math I think he could beat Masvidal. but uh, I mean, because Masvidal is also me. a big guy. He's a big lanky guy too, so he might have trouble with the range because the the what he was using against uh, uh, Neil wouldn't work the same way with Masvidal. He's got more reach, so that that would kind of yeah. even out a little bit more, you know. So yeah, yeah. I don't know, but uh, let's move on to the co-main event of the evening, which w- was a welterweight matchup once again. It was Alex Morano who came uh. in. On uh, on a week uh, notice, uh, and defeated Donner Cerrone via TKO at four minutes and forty seconds of the opening round. So they're this close to getting to the end of the round, but (laughs) but not not enough. And Alex Morano moves to nineteen and seven in this matchup, and then Donner Cerrone, of course, falls in this matchup, and luckily has one more fight left before he retires. He said that. He had two fights left before this. Mm-hmm. He, wanted to, he wanted to do this one, which was supposed to be against Diego Sanchez before the whole Diego Sanchez <laughs> debacle and just yeah. craziness that's still going on. And there's there's a there's like a plot twist that that's been added to that, which oh, we'll God. talk about that later on. But uh, I haven't even been following it, Jesus. But uh, but, <laughs> but, but, but words. The, but, yeah, but this was a nice uh, calculated risk from Morano, and it worked mm-hmm. in his favor, and he was able to pick up the victory uh, over Don Cerrone. Uh, what did you take from this fight? Okay, so my commentary is pretty limited. One, yeah. because, you know, the round was super short, so there's you can do a play-by-play of that. Basically what happened, uh, Morano came out with a big early shot that failed, Cerrone forced the wrestling situation, but neither of them couldn't make anything happen with that. So they just kind of broke apart and then they kind of were trading and Murano's big shots were like these wide swings. Most of them missed the mark. Um, He was really having more success with like his jabs and the occasional cross, but anything circular didn't really seem to work that well. Like Cerrone would just get out of the way. Um, But it was enough to keep Cerrone on his back foot through the round and then Moreno was just more busy, it seems like. Uh, so the striking exchanges overall, to me, they looked fairly even. Uh, like Cerrone was still landing, but Moreno had more volume, though. Like, Cer- like Cerrone was probably on the counteroffensive there more so than just trying to be aggressive. Um, and then there were two big moments for Moreno, which was the outside leg reap takedown. But then he did nothing with it. He just looked at Cerrone on the ground and was like, did that just happen? (laughs) He was like, get on top of him. Finish it. (laughs) But he just let him get right back up. 
Um, and then of course the other, the other big moment was the uh, over overhead shot, the angle shot that Murano landed that stunned the shit out of Cerrone. And then uh, he just kept following up until the ref called it. So he ran by TKO. Now, you can tell that Cerrone, you know, he's been really worn down over the years with all the fights he's had, and he's really, you know, carrying those battle scars. So, I mean, it's like, even at his ex- like his advanced age in terms of the fighting career yeah. and all the fights he's done, he was still about even with Marano most of that fight. This was another sort of like, he landed the right punch at the right time, and that was w- what ended this fight. Like if that punch had missed, we we probably would have gone into a second, maybe even a third round. There, there, it was that, it was that classic one where you duck under, then you do like the nice overhand whip, and Morano mm-hmm. uh, connected on it. Like I've seen yeah. so many times now where a guy ducks, just misses getting hit, and then he reaches over, and then just connects on it, and it's like that big time uh, strike, and then just yeah. dazed. Uh, Cerrone for a second, which gave Murano the chance to pounce on him. And that's the thing. That move is kind of high risk, high reward. Yes. The high risk is when you slip like that, like if you watch, he slipped really low. So if Donald yeah. Cerrone had caught, had seen that punch coming and embraced himself and caught the punch, he, a knee to the face would have followed immediately. That's the risk. The reward is, when you do this angular strike, for some reason, I don't understand why specifically, but the brain sucks at, at intercepting angles. It just does. Yeah. Like if you come with a hook, your brain's like, oh, from the side. Got it. If you come straight down the middle, your brain's like, oh, straight. But when you start like throwing angular shots, like from, from this angle, your brain is like, what do we do with that? Like, like you can't quite slip it correctly. It takes practice to like, you almost have to treat it like a hook where you kind of have to like duck under and circle out, or you have to like slip back into way at the angle, but your brain just kind of like, doesn't process it well. And if you try to block it, you can't quite find the right angle to like successfully stop it. So, you know, if it connects, it's usually very powerful because there's a ton of momentum behind that punch. But Here's here's the thing about Morano. He's a uh, his performance wasn't bad, but again, he was it, it seemed like he was about even skill-wise with Cerrone who was just kind of worn down and like ready to retire and he's in one of the most stacked divisions in all of UFC. So it's like where does he go? <laughs> like he can't He's locked in think, at that 15 spot until something yeah, yeah. from him, you know? I, I, I think Morano knew that he was taking the fight on a short notice, mm. and he just was like, I'm just going to take chances. He was like, what do I have to lose? I'm coming I mean, in on this fight on short notice. This guy's well, ranked number 15. He's the, he's at the end of his career. Sure, I can yeah. probably take chances and probably get away with a few of them. I don't think it was even that because I looked into his background a little bit. So he's apparently a Taekwondo black belt, which is not that difficult to get, but he's got a Brazilian jiu-jitsu background. And I think he's also a black belt, which that is hard to get. takes a lot of training. Um, Specifically, I think he's a Gracie black belt. So it was bizarre to me that he would focus so much on the hands because Taekwondo is mostly kicking. If you see a Taekwondo yeah. guys throwing punches, that's not where they learned it. They learned it somewhere <laughs> else because Taekwondo punches are, are trash. Like I remember I used to teach at the, when I was in college, I used to, to 
look for jobs. I could go around teaching MMA yeah. or combatives or self-defense or whatever. And there was one school I was working at for a little while. It was a Taekwondo school, but they'd rent out space to a bunch of other instructors. So, you know, I'd, I'd hold pads or whatever and spar with the black belts in Taekwondo. And then I'd do some jujitsu stuff. And then, you know, the, the Krav Maga guys would come in and then the, the Arnis and Kali guys. But there was, I remember there was one time we were doing this drill where like, they had a, a a kicking shield and they were like, all right, throw a punching combination on the kicking shield, which I was like, do you not understand what kicking shields are for? But like yeah. me coming from a striking background, I just threw like a jab cross jab combo and they were like, wow, those are really good punches. I was like, motherfucker, what? <laughs> like how bad are your punches? When you look at a jab cross jab, you're like, wow, that's some advanced shit. So it's weird. It's like he has the background to be a good grappler, but he didn't use it at all. Like at all. He couldn't even make shit happen in these wrestling situations, which we would expect that from like a jujitsu Gracie guy, but he seems like intent on being the stand up trade and bang sort of guy, which I mean, if you're going to be successful in, in MMA in general, you got to lean towards your strengths until you've developed the, you know, underdeveloped part of your game, but he seems to be doing the opposite. He's leaning towards the stuff that he's not quite great at yet. And then ignoring the stuff that he's spent a lot of time cultivating and developing and getting to a really high level. And it was, I don't know. This, I, this guy is a mystery to me. Like his striking, like I said, it wasn't very clean. He would throw really wide strikes, which is why Donald Cerrone could see them from a mile away. And most of them, he was able to successfully slip out. It was just Moreno was faster on his feet. He could close that distance yeah. real quick and get those straight punches, those jabs and crosses in. Um, but again, this was just kind of like, he threw that angular punch and Donald Cerrone's brain was like, I don't know what to do with that. So he managed to land without him doing too much to defend it. Uh, but without that, I, I didn't see too much of a difference skill wise between them, you know? No. And I, I don't, I think this was Morana's first fight in two years also. Oh, really? So, oh. It, I thought he yeah. had like a nine and five record in the UFC. Yeah. Yeah. I Most of them were decision enough. wins too. Yeah, because I think they'll hold on. Yeah, let me bring it up. I think the last fight he did was right before the new year last year, where he, I think he lost. Uh, I think he's coming yeah. off of, a, oh no, you're right, he did lose. Uh, uh, lose. I'm yeah, I'm bringing it up right, right now. Yeah, yeah, he's coming off a loss to Anthony Pettis uh, yeah. December 19, 2020. Oh, so no, never mind. So he, he did fight. Uh, I got the year wrong, but he lost. But he took that fight on one month notice. He beat Reese McKee, and then he came in and, and lost to Pettis on a on a month's notice. He took the fight on a month's notice. That was the Stephen Thompson Jeff Neal card wow. where they fought, and then before that, he lost to Chaos Williams mm -hmm. all the way in February. And so that's the fight I was thinking of. Uh, was yeah. that one? That's I forgot that he, he had a he had a good record before he entered the UFC. Yeah, it's a ten and three actually, if I'm mm -hmm. not mistaken. And then he got into the UFC, and he's like, eh. <laughs> he's he's almost at that ratio where you're winning as much as you're losing. He's just four ahead. It's not a big gap, you know. <laughs> no, no, but, but not at all. But it's it's good for him to see that he was that he took it on uh, a like a week's notice, and he was able to pick it up. So sure, and he seems to not mind it. But uh, he has stuff that he needs to fix. But like like here's the stats here: uh, forty one total strikes for Morano to eighteen of Cerrone. Thirty five of those are significant strikes. 
mm-hmm. and 17 for Cerrone. 28 head strikes to five uh, of Donald's. Uh, five of seven body strikes to 10 of 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, two or three leg kicks to two of two. 47 seconds of control time to just two seconds. When did he have and control then, time? I don't <laughs> know. They to, what? Don't what know. control then, did he have? <laughs> and then you no... Know. And then no submission attempts for yeah. either person. It was just basically the stand up and trade type thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they considered if they're locked in against the cage. If that's considered control time, I'm I'm <laughs> going to go out on a limb and say that that's what they're saying here. Because okay. that's the only time I felt like that they were going at it in itself uh, it was that not right. anything else, but. The the fight ended in the first round, so all these uh, decisions that we had, except for the Gregor Gillespie one, right. it was kind of nice to get like a quick matchup here sure. to where it lasted around, and then to get the <laughs> performance from Morano. It sucks because I, I was a huge Don Cerrone fan, but you could definitely tell that the wear and tear and all the the yeah. fights that he's ha- had under his belt are taking a toll on him. Where he ju- he just looks slow, like usually he looks like he has that burst. And he and he has the excitement, but like it's definitely taking a wear on him doing all those fights because he's so known for doing four or five fights in a yeah. year span, like for for like a five six year span, where everybody else was only doing like two fights. Mm-hmm. He was yeah, doing he was like busy. five, yeah, real busy. He, like he like he was just doing it because he needed the money because he was spending so much. He was like, <laughs> "I'll take a fight just because I need to keep up with my spending habits." Mm. Uh, but now, like he has one more fight left. He was lucky enough to get a sponsor, so I think now he's like, "Okay, I, I locked those sponsors up right now. <laughs> right before I'm retiring, yeah. I can now do two fights and then I'm gone, and then maybe see him like transition into like a job with the UFC because." I think the I think the UFC owes him for all the fights that he's done under the promotion, and then I mean he's also like, a veteran I, fighter. I think he could do some good commentary, you know. Like oh yeah, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. If not, at least put him in, in, in a situation. Maybe maybe he just decides to train. Hmm. Like uh, he, he could be a judge. He, I mean, we yeah. should probably start making so, retired fighters judges, anyways. <laughs> they probably yeah, make better exactly, decisions. Exactly, so. but. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yep, he has one more fight left on his thing, so uh, he's likely going to drop down from the top fifteen now. After that, yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if they moved up Murano just because he beat him. I like I wouldn't be so shocked mean, that they did that. They probably will, but the question is like, who can he fight now? He, nobody in that top fifteen, not a single person, can he beat? Not one. Kevin Neal, with all the time he's been out, would probably kick his ass. Like, there's nobody there he can fight. He's got oh, Neil Ferreira, Machado. <laughs> what's what, what's crazy with this is this was a welterweight matchup, mm-hmm. and they still had Donald Cerrone 15 in lightweight. He oh, was ranked in worst. the Ooh. he was ranked 15 in the lightweight division, not the welterweight. He's still ranked in the lightweight division, and he's a welter and he's been fighting welterweight the past this was a few fights. Matchup? Yeah, uh, hold on, let me. Are you sure? uh, oh, yeah, look at that. He was a welterweight. Yeah. That's super weird. So which, which, then he's got. Oh yeah, that's not much better. He's still got like no. Bilal Muhammad, Sean Bradley, yeah. Robbie Lawler, yeah. and Chinev. Sean Brady. And Sean Brady just called out Lee Jinlong. Oh, did so, he? Yeah, they, they called him out, and then there's a little feud going on there. So, 
give him Jeff Neal. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, I think what they'll do is they'll do, they'll do like he'll be 15 instead of fighting somebody above him, they'll have like fight like somebody in like the 16 to 18 range yeah. and then uh, see where he's at with that. Like, because he was taking up a guy yeah. from lightweight. Yeah, like, like maybe maybe they don't move him up yeah, that much because he was fighting a guy mm. uh, Cerrone from lightweight. So maybe mm. it'll give him more time to fight, move up the division, and then by the time like he has to fight one of the juggernauts, that he he improves <laughs> a little bit from then. I mean, that's the thing. If you look at his fight record, 26 fights, and that's the performance he gave, he's got a long career already. Like uh, uh, Yuri, uh, Yuri Prochaska, 28, 29 fights. Like you have experience. This isn't like, oh, he's green, he's new. No, he's been doing this no. for a while. Mm-hmm. He came in with a 10 and 3 record. It's just he hasn't progressed. He just hasn't grown the way you would expect from like fight to fight. You're supposed to be improving. It seems like he's just kind of plateaued out. And he's he's not great at striking. He ignores the things he's good at, and yeah. he's going up against guys who are worlds better than him in all of those things. So, like, where do you go? I think he's just fated to be a tomato can fighter to like be a gatekeeper of the yeah. top twenty, maybe. There's, uh, some you know? fighters that come in that just they do good until that that sp- like not the top fifteen, but that spot where you start facing guys where you have to actually have to like use your skills. Right. To, to pick up the victory, not just, oh, I'm just going to go in there and because I can knock somebody out. And he's mm-hmm. probably like eh, just like a floater there that mm-hmm. I can just get on by without doing too much. Like right. there comes a point where you have to actually start using your skill. And he was able to beat Cerrone, uh, who has, who's a lightweight at, at heart, but is from him fighting welterweight. But he was able to do that with some skill. But once like the next fight, I think the next fight is going to be the true test for him. Like, he lost to Anthony Pes one. He did lose that by decision. He beat right. Reese McKee. So, like, he has to show the consistency. And then, uh, likely, his next fight's going to be a good fight. If he can't beat that, that'll be a telling sign that he's not going to move any yeah. any bit farther. But I mean, if he who can do they that, give him that he could do well against, though? Like, yeah. Robbie Lawler? Nah, dude. Even, <laughs> even though Robbie Lawler is an older guy, <laughs> I don't see him he, beating he, Robbie Lawler. He hasn't even fought in two years. That's the thing. And he probably would win. Even then, <laughs> he's still got a huge advantage. Yeah, like, exactly. I don't know where this kid's going to end up. Remains to be seen, but he see. picked up the victory on short notice. <laughs> Yeah, which was good for him. This was likely like his 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 fame matchup right there, his big big name matchup yeah. uh, right he here. Fame. <laughs> his, his time in the limelight, brief though yep. it was. <laughs> yep, he's got that moment that he can yeah. live off of. So you know, I beat uh, up Donald Cerrone one time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> kind of a big so. Deal. We're wait to see <laughs> what he's gonna do next, but. Luckily, we won't know that for a while. But uh, let's let's uh, transition from the co-main event to the main event of the evening, which was, in essence, it was supposed to be a strawweight matchup. But because the uh, the main event got well, yeah, because the main event got scrapped, and then the co-main event got scrapped in itself, uh, <laughs> which is why the Morano Cerrone got moved back, back because it was supposed to be Diego Sanchez Cerrone. The, the women went from uh, being a three-round fight to a five-round fight, and then instead of fighting at the original strawweight, 
they made it a flyweight matchup just so they didn't have to cut too much weight. Huh. And it was so they, they didn't, well, it's because they moved it from three rounds to five rounds. But like they if, gave them they gave them leeway. They, they did they, it for leeway. What do they do for like movements in the brackets then? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> what do you do there? I don't know. <laughs> but we had a we had a women's fl- uh, fl- uh, flyweight matchup between okay. Marina Rodriguez. Four, she she mm. picked up the unanimous decision victory. Uh, she moved to 14 1 and 2. She's 4 1 and 2 in the UFC. And then Michelle Watterson fell to 18 and 9, and, and then 6 and 5 in the UFC. Uh, like I was just saying uh, before, uh, this was supposed to be a three round fight up until a week ago. So the, 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 they are originally straw weights, but they said because they had to move this to a five round main event. Mm. They gave him that leeway, knowing that they're going to have to do, do an extra two rounds. They're only uh, like the uh, like training for three rounds, mm-hmm. and this got thrusted on them on like a week's notice. So they allowed them that extra leeway, weight wise, to allow them to do the five rounds. And so they're like, just do, just be mm-hmm. be prepared for a flyweight about instead of the straw weight, which is kind of weird. But then I can see why they did it. I mean, I think I get it, but at the same time, like, if you're fighting at this level, shouldn't you be preparing for five round fights anyway? Like, if you're looking at a potential title shot, you know, sometime in your future, you should be preparing for five round fights anyway. So it shouldn't be like that much of like, oh shit, change the game plan. Like, should have been like, oh okay, cool, this is what I've been getting ready for. Uh, well, anyway, you know, well, I don't know because that extra two rounds, like you, like you could game plan. Okay, I'm gonna win the first two rounds. And then I'm good for the third round. But in this one, you got to get the first three rounds. And then the last two, you got to game plan differently. Like it's, I see the total difference in like game plan as a fighter. I mean, in like the prep work. Sure. But I mean, if you know who the fighter is going to be like, they didn't change around uh, who they were fighting necessarily. So you could just take the original game plan and then just extend it out two rounds. It wouldn't be like radically different from what you already had. It would just be more about like pacing and stuff like that. But again, if you, if you've been working towards like developing the endurance and the mindset to do five rounds anyway, which you should be doing in your training, if you want to take the title, it, it wouldn't be like a huge scramble. It'd be like a day of sitting down and going, all right, well, here's the original plan. Let's just plan for two more rounds and, and kind of move some things around. And here's what we're going to do. You know what I mean? I don't feel like it would have been like, oh, God, we uh, so lost. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but, but what did you take from this uh, matchup? I mean, so this matchup, I was super psyched to see San Hagen and Dillashaw fight it out. And instead we got Rodriguez and Watterson, which didn't even feel like a consolation prize. It was like the consolation prize you get if you don't get the consolation prize. (laughs) Well, well, if everybody doesn't know, this was supposed to be the third fight on the card. And we had so much movement on this card. Like the the Uh, day of the fight, the day of the fight, we lost Rebus and Angela Hill. That that just Mm -hmm. got announced that that got moved to June 5th. Yeah. Um. That that was announced today, but the day of the fight, I think somebody on Amanda Rebus's side got COVID protocol, so they had to scrap this. That was supposed to be the first fight. That's why Hawes and Dawkins got moved to the main card, which I do like. <laughs> you know, which was good, which was yeah. a, a plus in it. 
<laughs> Sanhagen, uh, Daryl Shaw was supposed to be the main event, and Daryl Shaw got a cut above his eye, and then mm-hmm. he wasn't going to have enough time to heal to then go back to training again. So they had to scrap that. That got moved. I don't even think they've announced the the movement date yet. And then the co-main event. And then the co-main event no. was supposed to be Diego Sanchez and Cerrone. Diego Sanchez backs out because of the whole Sanchez <laughs> baby uh, situation. So yeah. that's why he got replaced by Alex Morano. Um, I think that's why they made this the main event because they couldn't. Uh, they couldn't <laughs> trust Morano and Cerrone to be the main event, <laughs> well. uh, which I would have rather have had. In essence, the Magni Neal one be the main event. In essence, honestly, like Gregor Gillespie and Ferrero was so exciting that that would have been a dope main event. But yeah. I mean, you couldn't have foreseen that. You know, you couldn't have seen no. that from the onset. No. But anyways, but um, yeah, this card got so rearranged, turned on its head, and flipped sideways that it was like completely unrecognizable from what it was supposed <laughs> yes. to be. But it is what it is. And here's the thing. Like, Watterson was just outclassed in this fight. It was pretty obvious. Personally, I thought you could have predicted the outcome just from watching the highlight reels that they did before the fight of both of these women. Because you had, like, like Rodriguez was just, like, pounding the shit out of people and, like, knocking them out. And then, like, the most impressive thing Michelle Watterson did was that throw where she, like, got the uh, got the uh, arm around the neck, controlled the elbow, and then, like, kind of dropped into a throw. I, I think there's a Czech technical judo term for that, but she fell into, like, a scarfold situation. But that was about as impressive as it got. The other times it was her just kind of like, oh, I hit him a few times, but they didn't seem to be too bothered by it. And that's basically what happened in this fight. Like, <laughs> I had this uh, uh, three or four rounds to one. Uh, Rodriguez obviously and those four rounds all pretty much went the same way Rodriguez pieced Watterson apart both in the stand-up and in the clinch the main weapon Watterson had to offer was that lead sidekick to the legs and to the shins which uh, Rodriguez kind of picked up on it and she started dodging and avoiding the majority of those shots by the second round so that didn't really work out as well as she was hoping Um, Watterson striking wasn't bad but she obviously didn't have the speed or the power she needed to handle Rodriguez. And it seems like if Rodriguez got past her kicks, Watterson ran out of answers pretty quickly. I think she was maybe banking on like, oh, I'll grapple with her and use my my judo and my wrestling. But that only happened in the fourth round. Besides that, she had like one big moment in the third where she hurt Rodriguez with that solid uh, leg kick coming up after the knockdown. Uh, yeah. But then right after that, Rodriguez got right back to work. The one round Waterson took was in the fourth. Uh, that was the only round where Waterson managed to stop Rodriguez, mostly because Rodriguez isn't much of a grappler. So once Waterson managed to slip in that leg reap takedown, which is kind of like a, a sacrificing throw as they refer to it in judo because you fall too. Um, she managed to stay in the top position, not give Rodriguez any room to breathe. But she didn't finish the fight, though. Like it was, it seemed like that was all she could do to hold Rodriguez down. I was, ex- I was, ex- <laughs> I was expecting to see that earlier on in the fight. She, it looked like she was trying, but she just kept getting stuffed, put in the clinch, and then just eating elbows and knees. And then she quickly abandoned the idea of like, oh fuck, I'm not gonna get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel like, I, I feel like if she would have kept on pressing it, she would have mm. got it. Sure. But I felt like she abandoned it and then decided, okay, round four, let me try again. 
for no reason. And then she got it. It, it, it would have right. been like, if you would have done this earlier, right. just keep pressing. Kind of like, like totally different scenarios. But like Gregor Gillespie kept on pressing it. He wasn't getting mm-hmm. anything half the time, but then he wound up uh, breaking the will uh, for Farida. If she would have kept pressing, she might have gotten lucky and gotten it earlier on. And she could have changed the fight. Mm-hmm. Earlier on, instead of waiting into round four when she's already down like three rounds to none right. uh, at that point, and right. it could have changed things. Yeah, I, I think it was. I think it was two parts. One, yeah. she was trying to stand and trade because that was Rodriguez's plan, and for some reason she thought she'd go along with it with her kicks, and yeah. maybe she could keep her at range with those kicks, score some points, and keep her from getting too close. Um, and then when she would get, try to like do the wrestling situations, especially when she was hurt, it would just turn into a clench situation and she'd just be eating those knees and punches. Mm -hmm. And it was like, all right, well, you're not getting it there. It just seemed lucky. Like it was a, it was a fluke in the fourth. She managed to get into a wrestling situation without it turning into a clinch, got that outside leg reap, fell with her and was like, I did it. Yeah. (laughs) Woo. (laughs) And she did have three minutes and 54 seconds of control time with it. So, yeah. And I mean, it it helped in the fifth because after that, Rodriguez was a little bit more tentative. She was like, ah, I don't know if I should, you know, let my hands go quite as much because she might do that again. Which, if you think about it, doesn't make sense because she already had three rounds under her belt. So even if Watterson took that that fifth round, it wouldn't have mattered. Because I mean, she was in a really good position in the fourth, couldn't finish, couldn't finish yeah. her off. She was barely able to hold her down most of the round. Like Rodriguez was was starting to slip out. So Watterson just had to focus on like, all right, just keep her locked down. Don't let her get out because if she gets out, I'm fucked. But because one know. one judge had it 48 to 47 and then the other two had it 49 to 46. Yeah. So so of course they had it four rounds to yeah, four rounds to one mm-hmm. and then the one had it like three to two. Oh, so there. <laughs> <laughs> Which round was that? <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe she did four and five. I don't know. I don't know how it was I... but uh <laughs> but at that point like she had already lost. But like like I said mm-hmm. before, if she would have done it earlier, mm-hmm. she could have snuck out an extra round and changed things, changed the perplexion of the fight just because she did it earlier on right. and not right there, because that uh, that Getting that three plus minutes of control time, which she was able to do at the time, you can wear somebody out a little bit, and then by doing it once, you get the confidence to then do it again. Sure, because she knew she knew when she did in the fourth round that she had, she, she was going to have to finish her in the fifth. Mm. You doing it in the second round, you're like, oh, I can do this again. I got three right. more rounds to work with. <laughs> uh, like like I can do this uh, like another round, and then I get two rounds right there. Mm-hmm. E- even with how round one was. I can be up two rounds to one with right. two rounds left, and then I can manage myself even better compared to oh wow, I'm down three rounds to none. Yeah. I gotta finish her, like, I, and then she wound up doing this like, like the mindset of it is what I think it like lost it for her. Like she abandoned it, it too early. Well, it makes me wonder if there was a gas tank concern. Like she was yeah. worried she couldn't wrestle for five rounds. You know what I mean? So she was like, all right, I'll kind of work with her in the striking for the first two and then maybe transition into like some wrestling and some ground fighting in three and four. Yeah. And then like by five, she'll be real tired and I can, you know, kind of pick my game. But 
she should have done that. <laughs> yeah, no. You should have planned to like do every just, other or it's something not that. <laughs> she should have stuck with what she was doing to begin uh, with. Eventually she would have taken her down because mm-hmm. it's not like she shot for like 10, 15 takedowns. She only did five. Yeah. She only did, I think up to that point where she abandoned it, she only did like two, three times at that time. And, and then she and then I'm she, only seeing one takedown attempt in the first, two in the yeah, second, yeah, and no, then like I said, one like in one after, and five. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, like I said, she did like three in the first two rounds. She she could have gotten probably one in the in the in the second or third end of the second, third round, and mm-hmm. she, she could have gotten back into it. She waited too long, changed her game plan, and because as you see here, uh the Total strikes was 144 to 100. 125 significant strikes by uh, Marina Rodriguez to 88 of uh, Watterson. 60 head strikes to 43. 28 body shots to 25 body shots. 37 leg kicks. Yeah, you saw that right. 37 leg kicks to 20 leg kicks. This I can't believe that this fight had almost 60 leg kicks connected. They they almost threw for over a hundred leg kicks in this fight, which was just mm-hmm. amazing. The where that that's more than all the rest of the fights probably on the card combined. <laughs> combined, <laughs> and then control time was fifty one seconds to three minutes and fifty four seconds. Zero takedown attempts by Rodriguez. That's not our style. No. And then one of five by Watterson, and then no submission attempts. Like I said, like if you take that those uh, takedowns and you kept on doing it early on. She could have got. She might have got stopped, but she could have gotten her down. She could have mm-hmm. gotten her down earlier, and it would have changed the fight. I think with how like you looked at it now, it would have been closer. I might have still thought Rodriguez would have won it three oh, to yeah. two, but I felt like she would have made it a lot closer of a fight, mm-hmm. and then it would have worn Rodriguez down a little bit more because I think once she got her down. She didn't do too much. Like, she, no. like she got her down, and she was on her easily, and that's why she had her down for three minutes and fifty-four seconds. Mm-hmm. She could have done a little bit of damage, got a little bit of uh, confidence building from that, and then would have went back at it again, and mm-hmm. then maybe got it again, and then that that would have dramatically changed things. But she didn't. She she bowed away from it for like two rounds. Mm. Got got beat some more. Got behind again, and then. For no reason, decided to go for it in the fourth round, knowing she was down three to none. Unless for some reason her her the, her her like group decided to tell her, "Oh, you're only down two to one or something like that." Even though she <laughs> just like, lie, <laughs> just lie, and then she went for it, and then yeah. she just laid on her for the whole fourth round. I like, yeah. I don't I can't compute that. I don't, like I just can't like if you know you're down three to none, right? Why do you do it? Go back to it then. Like there's no. Nothing, not, no beneficiary of that other than Rodriguez. Rodriguez can be like, okay, take me down all you want. Like, you're yeah. not going to win by taking me down unless you can submit <laughs> me or knock me yeah. out. I mean, she was she, barely she, holding her down in the fourth. Yeah. Like, it, was, it was all she could do to keep her from getting up a lot of the time. That's why she wasn't focused on damage or submissions. It was like, fuck, just stay, stay, don't get up. <laughs> Anything to keep you from getting up. But but you look at the you look at the 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 rankings right here with both of them. Uh, this was the Marina was six, and then Watterson was nine in the in the straw weight. Not, nothing really is going to change. I think maybe I think maybe for 
maybe for the moment, uh, Rodriguez moves up maybe a spot to five maybe. because she won. I still can't believe Mac- Mackenzie Dern shot all the way up to five. That was crazy <laughs> uh, to look at it. Yeah. But she's not going to be able to move up that much more because you got, like I said, you got Asparza and – Zaydan, or however you said it earlier. <laughs> yeah. I know the Chinese names. You got to three years of Chinese in college. Those yeah. are the only ones I can pronounce. So the rest of them, the, I'm the, hopeless. They're going to be they're going to be fighting each other uh, next week, mm-hmm. and then maybe they try and do Marina Rodriguez and Joanna Joracek because she's expected That's how to come you say back. That name, Jesus. There's not enough vowels at the end of that word. <laughs> so she's trying to. Uh, oh. Apparently, she's trying to come back at the at July, August in that range. So maybe, yeah. maybe they try try and book that because you got to you got to move Rodriguez up. Like you can't have mm-hmm. her fight somebody behind her again. Right. Like Nunez lost to McKen- You know. <laughs> like, the only other be- thing is. The only yeah. other thing is maybe they do Marina Rodriguez and Mackenzie Dern. Uh, maybe, I guess. I don't know how well Dern would do, but I don't know. Yeah, I, don't know if, one, I don't know if Rodriguez wants another like throwaway fight. I think she wants like a significant top five fight to like really well, right, that, get a get well, a realistic well, shot at the title. Well, then do you wait until you get, and then you put Brooker against the winner of a uh, uh, Nan and uh, Espaza? That's what I'm thinking, yeah. Because yeah. either yeah. one, you got a, a loss already to Esparza, so that's like Esparza, yeah. uh, the rematch. Or you got Xiaonan, yeah. who's more of a striker anyway, so that'd be like a slugfest. It'd be pretty cool to watch. Yeah. But, I mean, it would be upward movement. She'd be in the top three. She'd have a case for, you know, doing a title shot against uh, the winner of uh, uh, Wei Li Zhang and Nima Juna's rematch. I mean, I think that's probably what she wants. I don't think she wants to yeah. waste her time with, like, a Nunez or a Dern who's, you know... She'd win, but like, how much further ahead is that going to put her? A spot, retaining the spot she has. Yeah. Like, I think, I think she's, she wants more movement. Than uh, that. She's in, she's in that spot in the rankings where it's like, okay, you're likely going to have the rematch between uh, uh, Zhang Weili and Namajunis. They might as well. They might as well. <laughs> Joanna ha- still is number two, even though she hasn't fought in over a year. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, the three and four are fighting each other next week, and then five and six is Dern and Rodriguez. So mm-hmm. you're losing. That's why I said like the you have a shortage of opponents. So that's why I said yeah. Joanna, and like he have to come back, put mm-hmm. Rodriguez against her. Because other than that, the only other thing you can do is put her up against Dern or put her up against the winner of Zaya and. Uh, and uh, Esparza, there's only I'd, three yeah. options that she has if you I'd want to put fine. up against somebody ahead of her. Yeah, I'd be fine with the the winner of the three and four spot or the second spot. One of those, I think, would be probably what she wants to do. I don't think she wants to do Dern. No. Especially but, uh, if she does th- end up moving up and taking her spot. Then it's like, what's the point? <laughs> it's like I move up one spot. <laughs> <laughs> well, if she ends up moving up because of the victory, then it's like, why am I fighting Dern? I, uh, nothing happens if I win. <laughs> Okay. That, that'd be yeah, that'd be more beneficial for by Dern. Yeah, to get because his she, she, she's likely gonna move above <laughs> Dern after t- today, and then right. yeah, so it would either be the winner of Zaya and uh, Esparza or fight against a returning Joanna. Uh, yeah. That that'd be the only uh, point there, unless unless they're just like if they want to go out there and be like, okay, 
you get the next title shot. But I, I don't think from this matchup they give her that no, right away. Yeah. When you have the three four matchup next week, which is going to be like an even better matchup in itself. Right. And uh, Sharon's one of those fighters who they kind of shot through. She's only had like five fights, but she's mm-hmm. really good. So I it's think they're just, trying to fast track her to maybe be it's just who like Wei It's just like Zhang Wei Li. She did her mm-hmm. five fights in six months. Five yep. fights in six months. Then then got the title shot, which she trained for like four or five months. So mm-hmm. within a year, she had like seven fights, had the title, then got the Joanna fight <laughs> six months later, and then took a year off. And then mm. lost to Rose, and now she's gonna try and get back the title. So if she were to win back the title she in will. a two-year span, she would have had fought eight times and then become a two-time champ in a span right. of two years in the UFC, which is just crazy to think that. Right. No, she's been that, busy, real busy. It's like Jane Dana White really likes these like fast starting up and comers, yeah. you know, and he wants to push them through as fast as he can. So I don't know. I don't especially, know. especially Zhang Weili, where she's from China. She's only oh, yeah. one of the very few like big prospects there, and oh, she was yeah. able to win it right away, which is really good for the for the UFC. Get that uh, uh the promotion in China, yeah. uh, get fighters coming over there, uh, mm-hmm. and that that's why I think it was it's no brainer that there's going to be a rematch. Oh yeah. I mean, especially because it was such a fluke win, you know, <laughs> like how do you not get a rematch from that shit? <laughs> Jesus. But now, but now looking ahead, uh, this Saturday we have UFC 262 right there in your, almost your oh, backyard yeah. of Houston, of Houston, Te- Houston, <laughs> Texas. Uh, I, I just interviewed, uh, Adrian Yanez, who's also right outside of Houston. Oh, and nice. just talking about just talking about the the excitement of having the second uh, live crowd there. And the funny story: Alex Morano, he trains like twenty minutes up the road from me. I exactly. Go tomorrow and just be like, "Hey, <laughs> there's him." And then yeah. uh, D- so, so does uh, oh, oh Diego. Rodriguez. Yeah, no, not Rodriguez. Diego Ferreira. Wait, they were talking. They were talking about how Diego Ferreira during the fight. They were talking about how he commutes. Every day, I thought he nine hours. Huh? I thought he went to train in Dallas. That was like the big commute. That was Diego Ferrer. He like I'm yeah, seeing, okay. he's from your area, I think, around really? your area, uh, because he trains uh, and because he uh, he commutes four and a half hours to uh, uh, Dallas and then four and a half hours back home. So he commutes nine hours. What does he take? I can get there in three. <laughs> I need to let him know. Let him know about this. Like he's they're, he's wasting a whole extra hour. Yeah. Is he from like? They, they just. Hold on, well, they say he up. can. They say he commutes nine hours every day. That's that. Yeah, I heard that. Training. That's nuts, man. That's just crazy. Relocate guy. Holy yeah. shit! <laughs> Hold on. Let me let me look at where he is exactly because I could have sworn he was I'll from like some tiny little podunk nothing town. Um, cause there's a ton of those all over Texas. We have so much land here. It's like most of the land is yeah. Fur Texas is apparently where he's at. It's in Hildago County. Hildago, okay. let, me see, uh, let me see exactly like on a map where this is. I can tell you if it's close to me or not far Texas. All right. Far Texas is. Oh, he's near Mission. I do know where he is. Okay, so from where I'm at, he's probably mm, 
maybe let's see. I would. Is he where I think he is? Hold on. If that's. Oh shit! Oh shit! Holy crap! What the? Are you serious? Oh man, that sucks. What? <laughs> He's nowhere near me, dude. No okay. wonder it takes him four hours. Holy shit! So on Texas, the complete opposite direction. He's down at the very tip, like right where Texas is, where it meets the yeah. ocean and Mexico. That's where he is near a uh, uh, Arl- uh, uh, Harlington. I don't even know where that is. McAllen area. So he has to go all the way up past uh, Kingsville. He's closer to oh, he's closer to Corpus Christi than he is okay. to Houston. Like, yeah. and even to Corpus Christi, it looks like he's got to drive a few hours to get there. Like, holy shit, he's they, down they, they, there. They just say he commutes to Dallas every day, four and a half oh, hours. That's which is long. There, that's more than four and a half hours. It's got to be San Antonio because. Here, let me show okay. you what I'm looking at. This is nuts. <laughs> let me show you what I'm seeing here. So. He is, let me let me get back to where he is. Okay, here we go. Share screen. So this is where he's at from what I'm seeing. He's yeah. way down here at the coast, but when you zoom out, the next closest city is San Antonio. Dallas is way the fuck up here. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is where I'm at. <laughs> so to get to Dallas, he would have to go through San Antonio, what, through Austin, through where, Waco. What, what's what's the what's Holy the town shit. he's from? Far Texas, P H R R. Texas, it's right there. Far Texas. P H R R Texas. Here, let me. It's this one. What? Yeah. Okay. That's what it says. Okay, I found it. I, I found it. I found it. Yep, he trains at OTS uh, Jiu Jitsu MMA. I thought he changed. Yeah, Fortis. That's what Fortis. they said. Fortis M- uh, MMA. Fortis That's MMA. where it changed because they had several guys on the on the card today. Yeah, see, wow, this says from far to Dallas is seven hours and 36 minutes. Holy shit, it is in Dallas. That's nuts, dude. But they said it only takes them four and a half hours. How the fuck? And four hours, four and a half hours <laughs> back. Because oh I doubt God. that he. So the, the only logical thing I can think of is maybe they think that it took him eight hours to get there and then he just stays up there for the week and then commutes back on like a Friday. That's nuts. Oh Which is goodness. long. This is like a nothing town too. Like this is the yeah. Providence of Far. This is the town. <laughs> it's just like a box and another box. There's a park here. There's a park here. There's probably like a Walmart right here and a, and a schoolhouse. It's like all oh, you got. <laughs> Why is he staying there? I I just, don't know, that, that, bro. <laughs> but then again, oh he. God. But then again, he's from Brazil, so maybe he wants to stay like within like, like because he's right there at the border. It looks like. I mean, so you can cross over uh, easily. He would still have to take a plane to get to Brazil, though. He's, he's <laughs> yeah, yeah. going to hike through Mexico. Like, what the fuck? I, don't I mean, know. at least if he goes to like San Antonio, there's a huge Hispanic population and they're from like all over. The- so he could like go into yeah. San Antonio and to one of these surrounding areas like a, a New Bronzefold or uh, let's see. This would even be these little towns here would even be better, but I mean, but uh, I think it depends on where. Notorious for I think it depends guys. on if if like Fortis MMA if that's his primary gym, and maybe he just trains there half the time, and then the other half he's by at home. Like if his secondary ones are closer by, I think it yeah. depends on how far away he he goes with the secondary because a lot of these people they train it two, three different gyms, but they do the primary one majority of the wise, 
Like the right. second one's usually like their other style of fighting that they want to get work into it. Hmm. I mean, it can't be that. I mean, here's the thing that's about Texas. Only, that's only, the, the thing about Texas is that when you go to these little tiny hole in the wall town, yeah. there's nothing there. If you have an yeah. MMA gym, it's usually not very good. It's like a dude who like, oh, I did some wrestling in high school. I did all right. And I hired a guy who does boxing and that's yeah. our MMA gym, you know? Like if you go to the major cities, there's way more. Like Houston's a big center with a lot of good gyms. Uh, here Austin's pretty decent. Round Rock area, I think, is growing. Dallas would have lots of selection. Like that's where he's uh, at Fortis MMA. But even in San Antonio, you'd be likely to find a decent gym and just you know split the time. What is he doing way the fuck down here? I don't get it. I don't get it. That's bonkers. Yeah, because his secondary one is Ados Jiu Jitsu, and that's based out of a. Uh, either PA or San Diego that it says, which makes no sense here. Uh, oh, there's a school in Houston. Oh, this, there's a branch. There's one in San Antonio. There is. Okay. That, that but still then go to San Antonio guy. What are you doing? Like what the fuck? That's, that's probably, I, I bet you that's where he trains majority of the time. Cause they're like, okay, four and a half hours here and there. I can there. only imagine. Go, go live there then. And then you can yeah, just go yeah. from here to, to Dallas. It's, it's much well, it's easier. Than this. It's probably because Fortis is a bigger, oh. uh, gym like with more fighters it's more prominent yeah but then again why wouldn't you just move closer to dallas then like even even if like austin would be a good halfway point because it's only like an hour and a half to san antonio it's not far and then from austin to dallas it's maybe it's about three hours okay a little less than three hours because houston up to dallas this trek is about three hours this is a little bit closer so it's probably two and a half so he's got one way, yeah. maybe an hour and a half. This way, two and a half. And it it puts him, more sense. I'm not, I'm not going to say it puts him in the middle of both, but at least he'll be in between both where he, he can cut down hours. a lot. <laughs> huh? No, it's not four hours. Like, yeah, exactly. Nuts. Oh, no. man. But he could like the commute back. Like I, If you're telling me he commutes like 14 hours a day, fuck that. Like, like move closer. What because you're just wasting hell? so much money in commute, and then you you might as well be a truck driver at that time, right? That like, <laughs> you just live on the road, and there's nothing there. The town has like yeah seventy thousand people. That's it. <laughs> like, I, I doubt he commutes. I, I, I'm telling you, I doubt he commutes. I, I think he's one of those guys that he goes up there, he stays there for the week, and then he train he commutes back on Friday. Right, that's like the for only Thursday thing night, Friday morning, sense. and yeah. then he's and then he's home Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then he commutes back Monday morning. Yeah, that's, or, that's uh, Sunday night. Got to be that. There's no yeah, way because no. holy crap, <laughs> that's whoo! I don't know about that. Yeah, but uh, that. but that that will end our uh, recap of UFC Vegas 26. Uh, that just happened this Saturday. Like I said, we're, we're, uh, this Saturday is going to be. Uh, UFC 262 live uh, with a live crowd in Houston, Texas, headlined by Michael Channer versus uh, uh, Charles Oliveira for the uh, vacant uh, lightweight championship, uh, which is going to be a good matchup. We were supposed to see Leon Edwards versus Nate, uh, for Nate Diaz in the co-main event five rounds, but, so that, but that got scrapped because Nate Diaz got hurt, so that got pushed to 
263 in June. So they moved up Dariush, uh, Benir Dariush against Tony Ferguson to be the co-main event, which I, <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I'd rather see that one than the <laughs> and, yeah, and, yeah. and Neon Edwards. <laughs> That's such a stupid matchup. Just scrap it. Like, yeah. who cares? <laughs> so dumb. But but as always, yeah. like I feel like every week we're gonna have like a scrap fight because of an injury or COVID. It's like one or the other. We're, right. we're each week. So it's a like a constant shuffling of these uh fight cards, which is the one plus of them booking three, four months in advance that they they can <laughs> shuffle fights and move them oh that back a week or because right. they just just announced today Shabazian and Hermanson, <laughs> which was going to get bumped up to the main card this week is got pushed to next week's card, but they said they wouldn't give a reason why yet. So it's, it's mm. not going to be COVID. I, I can only assume. So either it's going to be injury or just an issue. I, I don't know. Missed weight. One of them like missed weight or something. That it could be, but then I mean, they would book it for the next week right away, like like that, without even doing weigh-ins. I mean, if it's injury, what kind of injury would be like so bad that you can't fight, but like in a week you're good, you know? Like, what did you do to yourself? Did you, did you, I don't know, sit on your balls? Like, what, <laughs> what did you do that you're like can't do it now? Yeah. Call me in a week, I'll be fine then. Like, yep. <laughs> I don't know, but man. uh, yeah, but uh, really? tune in. Yeah, but tune in uh, this Thursday for uh, the UFC 262 preview. Mm. Plus, I just uh, if you go to YouTube uh, right now, I just uh, came out with the one championship uh, dangle uh, preview uh, show, which the card will be headlined by Brandon Bear against Arkin Bula for the one championship heavyweight title. Uh, the card will be this Saturday morning at 6, 6 a.m., uh, Eastern time since it's going to be in Singapore and then, and then uh, one championship will move back to its normal Friday morning uh, time slot uh, over here in the U S once it goes back to the normal uh, Friday uh, spot instead of Saturday uh, where there will be a doing their starting their Adam Waite grand prix for the women's, which is going to be nice. Uh, Elise Anderson, who we interviewed a few weeks ago, will be in that tournament. So, uh, Definitely root for her, mm-hmm. and then that's 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 it that we have for this week. It's a light week because uh, Belter is off this week, yeah. and they won't be back to next weekend with uh, Cyborg uh, against Leslie Smith, and then PFL doesn't come back until June tenth. So it's uh. just a little bit of Belter and one championship uh, flip flop in weeks right now until mm-hmm. the PFL come back in June. So uh, come check out all the all of our uh, content here at Cage My IQ on YouTube. Once again, this is Cage My IQ, the best place for MMA content. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch. And don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel to check out our previews and recap videos uh, for all four promotions along with the interviews that we're coming out with. I got an interview this Saturday with another Adam Waite uh in one championship stamp bear text. Uh, I'll be interviewing her. That, that'll be interesting because there's going to be a translator involved. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> so, and, and then right now I'm talking to uh, Brian Barbarina from UFC. So I'm getting a, a interview scheduled with him either later this week or next week. So keep an eye on all those uh, uh, 
and then I have an interview coming out with Jared Vanderer uh, next week, right before his fight with uh, Justin Taffa. So uh, definitely check that out and check out all of our content. And then if you look right below, uh, go to www.99jersey.com. Use promo code SPORTSBOXSHOW20 at checkout to get uh, 20% off of your uh, purchase. Uh, 99 Jersey sells, uh, of course, basketball, football, baseball jerseys, and then sports memorabilia. So if you're the sporting type, uh, definitely go to their website and order whatever you like on there. Just make sure you use Sports Box Show 20 at checkout to receive 20% off your order uh, and let them know uh, we sent you. That would be nice. But uh, I'm your host, D-Bake. This is Miles Long, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of your uh, night. Talk to you later, guys. Thank you for watching this episode of Cage My IQ on the Sports Box. Please remember to follow us on all of our social media outlets. On Facebook, at Sportsbox Show. Twitter, at Sportsbox Show. Instagram, at The Sportsbox Show. Find us on YouTube and join Outside the Box, our Facebook sports discussion group. The Sports Box is brought to you by our sponsor, Showcase Sports in Hamilton. Showcase Sports for the elite athlete. And also our friends over at Crowdplay. Download the free Crowdplay app today and use promo code THEBOX at sign up for 10 free points. Thank you for joining us.